Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And uh, the McQueeninator. 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 No, just Travis. Just Travis. That's just Travis. I'll stop. Uh, I was doing that to uh, Bubba was going upstairs, and I don't know where this is from, but um, maybe it's like American Pie or something, but he was going up, and I was like, come on, Bubba. Bubba Rooney, the Bubba-nator, Bubba. And I was like doing it, and Blakely was just like, Dad. And I looked at her, and she was like, don't. It's like, okay. <laughs> Awkward. Um, when I said that intro, I thought about uh, the help you create a life by design. Um, I just filmed a Reels, and it was based off of a conversation I just had with a client, so I was shooting the like intro video for my client to get started with his, his training and nutrition program. And, uh, and it was cool because like he, he sent me his questionnaire and, uh, his diet is not looking good. <laughs> he eats like shit. And hence why he hired me. We're going to make some change. Right. But he sent me that and it was like, okay, here's questionnaire, big deal. No, whatever. And then he took his before pictures and he sent me a text and was like, like, I basically said he fucking hates what he saw in the mirror. He mm-hmm. was like, I was actually shocked to see what I saw. And he's a sports performance coach, so he works with athletes, like high-level athletes. Um, but he doesn't do a lot himself. He's yeah. just not into it anymore. But he was basically just like, he literally was like, I, I was disgusted with what I saw. Like, we got, we got to create change, which is great. And I, and I was talking to him in the video about that is negative motivation, that's going to work for a positive outcome, right? And I think when I think of creating a life by design, I think of as a person, you almost have to have an ability to see those negative things as a, it's not a blessing because nobody wants to be in that position, but it can be a fuel source rather than something that brings you down, right? So he saw that and he's like, I'm fucking disgusted. Let's go, you know, let's get to work. I'm ready to create change, which was perfect because I was like, dude, we have to, and this is like create a life by design. I'm thinking of, and this is what the real was about. It's like, in order to create positive change in your life, you have to do the difficult thing of accepting where you're at and then taking ownership of how you got there. Because everything that you want to create, every result you want to develop, every success you strive for, whatever, it's all in your control. And I think a lot of us can agree with that by now. You talk about like your actions, your habits, it's all in your control, right? Which means you control the results you see. But as soon as you say the lack of results or the shitty results or the, the things that you hate in your life are your fault, people shy away and don't want to accept that. But it's the same thing, right? Extreme ownership is knowing that if I want to get results, it's in my control. And if I don't have the results or if I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see, that's my own fault. I put myself here by the shit that I do to myself. Yeah. Just like if I win, it's because of the shit that I did for myself. And I, I, I'm just like spitting out a rant, but... I think it's really, really powerful for people to hear. And I think there's a question today that kind of like relates to it. Um, but I, I ultimately, like, I think that's like one of the most powerful things that I got from that book, Extreme Ownership. And it was such a powerful thing that I sent to him. And like, I started reflecting on myself because if you can be that person that accepts where you're at as your own damn fault, you're also the person that can take control of the things that are going to get you results. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's extreme ownership. And it's hard, but I think it comes down to auditing everything in your life. So, like, with him, I was doing it. I'm like, dude, like, look at your diet. You don't like veggies, quote, unquote. Start fucking liking them. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I want to look good and feel good. Okay. 
You got to eat healthy. I don't like eating healthy. Okay, well, this is why you're here, you know? And that's like tough love, but I feel like today it's just like, man, like I feel like there's such a lack of that with people because we're constantly trying to be nice and give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and be easy on ourselves and not offend anybody and it's all these things. And the reality is, is that you kind of have to be harsh on yourself in order to get great results. Absolutely. The people who win and get the best results, they're not afraid to call themselves out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we don't have to call other people out unless they ask for it. This guy paid me to call him out. So I'm allowed to say that shit to him, but I'm not going to go out here and like point fingers at people and tell them they suck. Start picking apart different people. Yeah. Like that's offensive because it's just fucking mean. They didn't ask me to do that, (laughs) you know? But I think it's uh, I think in today's world, it's like, man, it's, it's, there's, there's a book and I actually didn't like the book or the author, but I loved the title of it. So I bought it. And then I was like, Oh, this guy's a fucking dick. Um, but it's, uh, it's called, uh, you're going to shout it out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not gonna listen to this. Famous author. Um, uh, I think it's called hard times make weak men or it's strong men. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's hard times create weak men or something like that. But basically it talks about like this cycle of life of like hard times create strong men. There you go. Yeah. Right. But the cycle is that strong men overcome hard times, create comfort and comfort creates weak men. Weak men allow hard times to come about. So, and it's like this fucking virtuous cycle. It's like an old, old, like it says hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men mm. and weak men create hard times, hard times, which create strong men. And it keeps going. Yeah. And I want to say it's a, Kind of like, you know, there's like old Chinese proverbs and stuff. I want to say it's like, it started with Hinduism. Mm. I can't remember where that, like, there's that fucking cycle. It's like a diagram. Um, but I love that that topic. And then I, I was like, this is going to be a great book. So it's going to talk about history and like hard times of history and how it creates strong men. And it's just this guy that like, I, I mean, I listened to the audiobook and I didn't get far enough to like, maybe he did start to talk about history, but he was just basically calling everybody wimps and just like, you need to toughen up. And it was just... I don't know. Had like a very hardcore bro vibe and I was like, this is just too much, you know? How much did you get into it? I think I got through like the first chapter maybe, but like I know Travis finished the whole book and he was like, yeah, that guy's like, damn, it was the whole book like yeah. that. So I know I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't continue it. Um, But, but the point is, is like, I like the philosophy of that. And I think it's true, man. I think a lot of times like, like we talk about tailored live and creating, it, it really comes down to that. It's taking no for an answer or not taking no for an answer. Yeah. It's, it's pushing forward, grinding. It's, it's kind of slapping yourself in the face when you need it to and doing the fucking work, Yeah, you know? Not, um, but as I said, that intro, I literally just walked from the office doing that reel. So I was thinking about it in my head. Totally. I think it's a good lesson to start the, the podcast with for everybody listening. It's just take extreme ownership, accept where you're at because it's your own damn fault. But just like that, your results that you desire and the future self you want to create, that's in your control. Amen. Cool. Let's, uh, let's start it off with the podcast today. The first one comes from Annie Coden says in an online Mac in an online macro calculator, I don't know whether to put fat loss or muscle gain when calculating macros. I want both. So which way should I go? Yeah, we should, uh, link this in the podcast show notes. Um, I wrote a blog just a few weeks ago, eh, maybe it was like a month and a half ago, um, recently called, it's something like how to use a BMR slash 
TDEE, which is Total Daily Energy Expenditure Calculator. Um, so it, it, there is an embedded, there's a built-in online calculator in this blog that you can use. But it talks about most online calculators you go to online, it's like, find out your calories. And you enter them in, you're like, okay, now what? Yeah. You know, it's not like much to it, but you'll read 2,000 words before you even get to the calculator in my blog because I wanted to explain what is your BMR, what's your TDEE, what is metabolic adaptation, how do these things influence your fat loss phase, why are they important, so on and so forth. And then you get into the actual calculator and then it's like, now what do you do with this? So there's a lot of depth there. But, you know, to answer your specific question, um, it you could go either way. I think that most of the time, online calculators just don't do a good job at like teaching people which route to take. And that's why yeah. as a coach, when I, when I have somebody like Mifflin St. Dior is probably the best calculation that you can possibly use for a formula. And if I have somebody working with me, I'm going to use that. I also have a couple of different formulas I use and I do a food log audit. So now I'm taking the most accurate formulas from calculations as well as looking at their current diet, and then I determine where their actual maintenance is. And then from there, I got to create a change to elicit a change physically. Now, what change do we create? Muscle gain, which is surplus, or fat loss, which is deficit? It's hard to say just off of a question, because I can't see you, right? My next questions for a client is like, okay, questions, questions, yeah, is you might have put that you were training four times a week, let's say. How long have you been doing that? Were you training three times and you just bumped it up? Did you used to train more than that? Have you, did you just start training? You so, so what's your history? Exactly. Yep. What's your exercise history? There you go. Um, how long have you been doing this? Because that means a lot, right? The, the longer you go in this journey, which is very ironic. I mean, it's funny because I, I think like part of me is like, I'm glad it's this way because this keeps people motivated in the beginning. It's like you get really easy results at first, right? Yeah. The, but the longer you go, the less dramatic your changes are and the more likely it is that you can't see a true recomposition simultaneously. Mm. So if you're asking this question and you're brand new to lifting, then I would say I would actually stay at maintenance. Don't go for a muscle growth phase or a uh, fat loss phase. Don't go for a deficit or a surplus. Stay at maintenance, train for muscle growth, and just eat really well You know, and stay at maintenance. If you have a high-protein diet and you preferentially have carbs higher than fats, um, fats, let's say, at 20% of your calories, which is like you, you need at least 20% before issues start happening, um, and you have enough carbs to train hard and all that, you're going to be training for muscle growth. At maintenance, as a newbie, you're definitely going to build muscle. But you're also going to be creating a really positive metabolic environment because you're so new to this stuff that you're probably going to lose some fat as well. Or you're lean enough to where that muscle growth makes it look like you lost fat. Okay. Like we talked about in the recomp episode, um, as well as many times when we had recomp questions, it's like, if I'm 170 pounds, and I'm pretty lean, but I want to get leaner, but then I put on five pounds of pure muscle, and I don't lose a single pound of fat, I will look leaner, and I will be lower body fat percentage, even though I didn't lose a single pound of fat, not even an ounce of fat. But because more of my weight is now muscle, I have a lower body fat percentage. And like, this sounds weird, but it's going to stretch your skin. Yeah. You know, when you have more muscle, you start to fill out your skin stretches in a positive way and you can see more muscle, which makes you look leaner. Um, so the point with that is, is, you know, if you're a newbie, stay at maintenance, train for muscle growth and just eat really well, you're going to probably see a recomp. If you're advanced, you need to determine which one you need more. So there's some situations where people have too much body fat and I don't like to throw percentages out because I think percentages are really inaccurate and Vague. 
they're very vague, and it depends on what you use. Did you use a DEXA or InBody, uh, um, calipers? I mean, there's so many different variations of it. They're all inaccurate, and they're all inaccurate in different ways. So it's hard to say, but... So how do you tell? You don't worry about body fat percentage, basically. It's just not a good metric to look at, to be honest with you. So what you should do is is look in the mirror. And for, for like, for example, for guys, if... And this sounds very weird, but when you do this long enough, you can you can make good, accurate statements. Um, you should go into a muscle gain phase if you can see the vein on your bicep, you can see the muscles in your forearm, so your forearm's pretty lean, um, and your upper back is pretty lean, and you can see at least the outline of your abs, if not like a four-pack. Then you can make a decision. You could get leaner, but you can definitely go with a, a, a muscle growth phase because there's no, nothing wrong with adding a little bit of fat. If you can't see anything but the outline of your abs or you can't see the outline of your abs and you can't see much vascularity, you probably need fat loss phase, right? And with women, same thing, but a little bit less extreme, right? Um, you're not going to have a lot of veins or anything like that. But um, if, you, if you have definition in your upper back and in your calves and, and maybe you can see like the outline of your, your um, abs or like you can easily see like your ribs a little bit when you like lift your arm or anything like that, you're probably lean enough to where you could do a muscle growth phase. Yeah. Um, but again, there's also this caveat of like, I know people who can see those things, but they don't have much muscle. They're just kind of like that skinny fat. So that person, even though maybe you can't see as much of that definition, so you might think, oh, I need to uh, lose fat. Like, no, you need to build muscle because you just don't have much muscle on your frame, yeah. right? So it, it really, really depends. But ultimately, if you're more of an advanced person, or you've been at it for a while, you basically have to look in the mirror. You have to assess yourself and decide or hire a coach to do it, which is way easier. Decide. Do I go with muscle growth or fat loss first? There's a lot of times where you should go with muscle growth first. It, but if you have enough fat to lose, then you should go with fat loss, you know? And there's a lot of things you can look up online of, like, average weight for certain people or, like, lean, like uh, body fat percentage scales. And you can see, like, this is about 8 to 10% for a male. And it'll show you, like, an image of what it kind of looks like. And then you can kind of base it, like, okay, where am I at? Most guys get abs between 8 to 12% body fat. Some guys are genetically gifted to where they can see them at 15%. I believe once you get above 15%, you don't really have any business bulking because at that point you're just adding too much fat. Yeah. Um, and for women, I want to say it's like 20 to 25%. So for somebody that's like getting on stage and they actually need to know like their body's fat percentage, what is, which, how do they do that? How do they figure that out if they're all inaccurate? Yeah. You use one of them. You just don't worry so much about the, the percentage. So for example, like if I was going to get on stage and let's say I had like a 20 week prep, which is pretty common. I would, pro I would probably use calipers because they're the easiest to keep consistent with the trend. Um, and what I would do is I would do the calipers on Friday morning fasted. Do the calipers, write it down. Um, let's say it says 12%. Next time I do it again and it says 11.5 and it was two weeks later. Perfect. I was 0.5% body fat. Now, I could actually be 8%. I could be 13%. That 11.5 or 12% is probably ac inaccurate as fuck. But the trend is very accurate. So the key to using body fat scanning tools like a DEXA, InBodies are decent, um, but they can be tricked easier. InBodies and the, BMI, the uh, bioelectrical impedance things or whatever that you hold, those can be tricked easier because they're based on how, like it's an electrical current and how fast basically, like if I'm holding this handle and this handle, yeah. it's going to send electrical current through my right hand and my left hand. 
if I have more water, more carbs, more salt, it's going to slow that current down and it says I'm a higher body fat percentage, even though all of that is being stored in the muscle. Totally. So I can actually be leaner and it fucks with it. Um, that's why calipers are nice. It's like you, you pinch the skin and you measure that and you write down. Damn. So as you get leaner, it's th- the measurement's going to get smaller. Mm. But the percentage is going to be off because it's a formula based on exactly where you pinch and how you do your math, which you can skew. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Um, because we could have different limb lengths and it throws off the percentages. But that has nothing to do with body fat. Damn. Um, when you say we, you mean? Like you and I. Okay. Like we could both be the same level of leanness, yeah. but because my legs are longer than yours. I didn't know if you meant like if your right arm's longer than your left arm. Yeah. I mean, it would technically, but usually you just do one arm. Yeah. You don't do both. Oh, okay. Um, but you would do like your arm. I think there's a spot on your stomach, a spot on your thigh, and then a spot on your back or something. You And then you add them together and it gives you your body fat percentage. Gotcha. Um, but the trend is accurate and that's what matters most gotcha you know but um yeah so it really depends i mean you got to basically assess and decide like where are you at if you're newer i would probably stay closer to maintenance if you have room to grow from a muscular perspective even if your end goal is to get leaner i probably would spend time building muscle unless you clearly have a good amount of fat to lose totally so you're more likely to build muscle in a deficit while losing fat if you have a lot of body fat to lose so somebody who's um even somebody who's like uh uh maybe they used to train a lot and they stopped for a while but they're obese you put them in a deficit, they could still build a ton of muscle while losing fat because they have so much stored energy that it, you can you can generate energy to train harder and then you can store the nutrients you're taking in for muscle, so on and so forth. All right, next question is going to come from Shelly De- Denholm. It says, thoughts on doing abs between sets of larger muscle groups like squats and other compound lifts. So what are your thoughts on doing abs between sets of of larger muscle grouping mm. exercises like squats and other compound lifts. Not a fan. Wouldn't suggest it. Um, that, I, that used to be kind of popular back in the day, I think. And like, I understand somebody's thought process process on it, right? Like, I want to I want to develop my abs, so I'm going to squeeze them in everywhere I can. Yep. Um, they don't take a lot of energy out of you doing some crunches, but the core in general is active in any compound lift, especially something like a squat. So that's probably like the worst example of an exercise. You know, if you want to do, excuse me, if you want to do some crunches or abs in between sets of bicep curls, maybe, you know I mean? It's not going to like affect you too much. Um, But people forget how active your abs are in everything you do. It's why some people believe you don't need to train them, but you do. If you want to develop your abs, you got to train them. Um, You have to isolate them. But even like a tricep pushdown with a cable machine, with a tricep push down with the cable machine, you have to step back. You have to bring the bar to about like where your arms are about 90 degrees, like just below your chest. Your abs are actually pretty active just bracing that position and avoiding it pull you up because you're resisting gravity. So if I did a bunch of sit-ups, I wouldn't be able to even brace properly there. And then I couldn't isolate or overload my triceps because my abs are cramping, right? A barbell squat is even worse with that. And then you have the, the injury risk of having a... F- heavy barbell on your back while your abs are cramping it's not a good idea you're just overworking well your your performance is going to decrease in the movement so there's two things that would happen either a you ignorantly just load the bar like you normally would and then your abs cramp mid lift and then now you have like a, a you start rounding your back you have a compensation you could really injure your low back you might not be able to get up in the squat because your abs start cramping um, imagine if you were at the bottom of a squat with 200 pounds in your back 300 pounds in your back, 400 pounds back, however much you can squat, and your abs start fucking cramping at the bottom of the squat. Yep. You're going to have trouble getting up, and then you're stuck under the bar, right? And that's not a fun place to be. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> um, 
And then the other, th- and you could also even if and if you get up and you exert yourself, you could hurt yourself. Yeah, you could strain a muscle, and and if you get an, a legit muscle strain, it's actually like a pretty rough injury to recover from. Yeah. Um, and you got to think about it. If you overwork and you strain your ab because you were doing sets of abs between something like a squat. Now You're going way backwards. Yeah, because like imagine, okay, so if I strain my quad, fuck, that sucks. Could still figure out a way to do glutes and hamstrings. I could definitely still do everything in my upper body. You know, I might have to adjust. Maybe I can't do like a standing overhead press because I have to like stand in like isolation, but I could do a seated press. I yep. can do a lot of things. You strain your abs, you, I mean you can't do a shit ton of stuff. Like there's literally barely anything your you can core, do at that yeah. point. Yeah. Um so I wouldn't ever recommend it. I think it's it's only gonna decrease the the load that you can use on any of these compound lifts, which is going to decrease your total volume. So sets times reps times load. And that's going to cause you to have decreased results. Plain and simple. You're not going to build as much muscle, not as build as much strength, because um, a lot of it does boil down to total volume. Um, however, what I will say and like advice I would give is the abs can handle a lot of volume and frequency. Um, so they can evol- handle a high amount of volume spread out, so high frequency, because I mean, it depends on how often you train a muscle. The more you train a muscle, the more you can do it without cramping and stuff. But I know for me, if I do a lot of abs in a single session, my abs start cramping like crazy. And then it's hard because then you try to do a sit-up, right? And then you just try to stand up off the floor and you're like, oh, yeah. like spazzing. That's never fun, no. right? Or you're taking a shit later and you try to get off the toilet and you're cramping up. It's like, <laughs> you don't want that. Um, so it's it's not... It's not a good idea to overdo them, in my opinion, but you can't. They recover really quickly because you can't overload them very much. So, for example, um, a barbell bench press, you can get really strong in that movement because it's a big movement with big muscles. Therefore, I can overload the shit out of that. Right? If I bench press three hundred pounds, I'm probably going to be more sore than if I just did sets with the bar. Yeah. Right. If I just did sets with the bar or twenty fives on it, I could probably come back and do it tomorrow, and I wouldn't even notice. 300 pounds, I'm not benching tomorrow, yep. you know? So with the abs, it's kind of similar. You can't do much weight on a on a crunch. Even if you load up the cable machine, there's only so much you can do, right? You can maybe hold a 45-pound weight. Like, there's not that much. And most of the time, you're just doing high reps with body weight, right? So, and because the abs have so many different muscles in it. There, I mean, there's your obliques. There's your uh, transverse abdominis. There's your actual fucking six-pack. There's so much going on with your core, your serratus anterior, Um so as everything into your hip flexors that you're going to be proportionally working it differently. Um, so you can do it very often in little amounts essentially is what I'm getting at. So what I would say is if you are somebody who wants to develop your abs, like I'm doing this right now as like kind of yeah, like a test say once a session. Yeah. And, and I, I'm testing it because I've never done it on myself, but I've done it with clients and it's worked and I've, I've watched many strength coaches over the years do this and it works. Um, but at the end of every single session, I either do a spinal flexion or an anti-extension exercise combined or just one or the other, which means I'm either doing like a, a crunch or a hanging knee raise. So my spine is actually flexing and my abs are contracting. Um, or I'm doing like an ab wheel, something that's anti-extension or I'm doing both. So I might alternate between the two. Um, either way, I'm doing like three or four sets of abs at the end of every single session. Um, and I, my abs are burning by the end of those three, four sets, but the next day I don't even feel them. Why don't you ever do the, like, opposite GHR? Um, only because there's it, it takes you through a lot of uh, spinal extension yeah. as well as like spinal flexion. Ra- rounding your back backwards. Yeah, it's not bad for you. Um, but, for example, the other day, like, I did uh, reverse hypers, and then I did crunches. I didn't want to do reverse hypers, which is taking you into spinal extension, and then more spinal extension. Totally. Um, I like doing... Uh, 
sit-ups on the glute ham raise, well, the glute ham developer, I think they call it as the tool, um, because you go into complete spinal extension, which is actually good because you stretch the abdomens and you go up. But that's also why I use the ab mat, because when you roll over the ab mat, you actually do go into some extension yep. and you stretch the abs. Instead of being flat on the floor. Exactly. And a lot of people do it flat on the floor. Um, and it helps a ton because if you think of like a bicep curl, imagine if you just always stopped halfway. You're not taking it through a full range of motion because mm-hmm. you're not letting the bicep fully stretch at the bottom, right? See what I'm saying? This is totally. a, the stretch yeah. phase and then this is the shortening phase yeah. when you curl. So a sit-up, most people don't do the full stretch phase. They stop when it's comfortable and they go back up instead of letting it go all the way into a stretch position, which is, I mean, the abs are a muscle just like any other muscle. Um, there was also Muscle's a study a that, that showed more ab activation like when they put the uh i can't remember what they're called off the top of my head but they're just basically sensing how how hard the the muscles are firing uh when people did it on a swiss ball oh. um which i don't love those but the reason is because it's an unstable surface so on top of going into full extension in uh flexion it's moving so your your abs actually have to fire in order to like balance on the ball um and this is probably the one situation where an unstable surface is actually i shouldn't say the one there's there's some sort <laughs> circumstances like a BOSU ball yeah like BOSU ball and eh, wobble board and eh. I mean but like if you're going through like knee rehab and you're doing body weight stuff and you have like support of something it's good because you're working on stability of your knee you need that doing heavy loaded shit on it stupid as fuck like, it's horrible I hate seeing people do that because it's just an injury waiting to happen yeah. um, I wish LeBron would have hurt himself on that oh my god yeah. there's millions of people that have done it yeah but athletes. LeBron is the one that is in front of everybody showing oh people how to train god. Millions of people taking advice. Like, that's that's the kind of shit that makes me, like, I don't like that. Um, it's a bad influence on people. But anyway, the the on that, it's a little bit different because you're trying to train the abs. So if you're doing a squat on it, your abs are the ones reinforcing while you're doing the squat, which is great. But it's the same thing as doing abs in between sets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, your abs are working too hard, and now you're, they're limiting your ability to squat. Um, but, yeah, so. Totally. That's my spiel. Cool. All right. We will move on to the next one. It is from TJ Horn 32 says, can chronic stress and elevated cortisol levels decrease testosterone levels? Yes. Uh, really good question. Um, there's some studies actually that show this exact thing. Um, they would actually inject cortisol into people and they would see a decrease in testosterone levels in the blood. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, like if you talk to anybody who is a hormonal expert or any endocrine uh, endocrinologist or any doctor who who specializes in hormones, anything, and you say like, hey, I want to improve my testosterone levels, the first thing they'll tell you is how stressed are you and how much are you sleeping? Mm. If you don't sleep enough and if you're too stressed, guess what's going to happen? Cortisol is going to go up because stress goes up. Stress hormone is cortisol. Um, so cortisol... Not only that, but it's also a catabolic hormone, which means breakdown. Um, so it's the opposite of an anabolic hormone, which anabolic is grow and build. That's why bodybuilders and people who are in, uh, interested in building muscle, they will actually try to reduce cortisol pretty often, um, which there was also a really interesting by study. how? Huh? How? Better sleep, better recovery, carbohydrates, all recovery. kinds of stuff. Recovery. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, but there was an interesting study that showed two groups. One had... Um, Low, like they basically had really low levels of cortisol and then the one had higher levels of cortisol is just one of the things that they saw mm. or were looking at and the higher cortisol group actually built more muscle um but it makes sense because if you look at the groups and the way they were split up the group with the higher cortisol level was training more and training induces high cortisol levels but 
the whole point of muscle growth, like what muscle growth is and strength even, it's, it's breaking something down so it's forced to build back up, right? That's why taking ibuprofen or anti-inflammatories or anything after a workout actually blunts hypertrophy. It's because your body wants to be broken down so you, it's forced to try to rebuild, mm. right? So uh, the group with higher cortisol levels was because they were training and stimulating cortisol to go up and their body has to blunt that cortisol response with recovery, sleep, better nutrition. And then when they get better at spiking and blunting, spiking, blunting, you grow from it, right? Same reason why you, you tear apart muscle tissue so they yeah. can rebuild. Um, but cortisol has been shown to reduce testosterone levels. It's temporary. So there's nothing that shows like, this is where like the study showed, uh, like it, they weren't, the study I looked at, so I don't know how many studies are on this. Uh, they weren't conclusively allowed to say like, chronically elevated cortisol levels reduce testosterone levels like permanently, you know? However, it was a short-term study, so they can't make claims like that. Mm -hmm. But in the study, it did happen. But that means that when cortisol goes up, testosterone goes down. So, I mean, put two and two together. If you're chronically elevating cortisol because you're stressed every fucking day, year-round, yeah, of course, over yeah. time, testosterone will go lower. It's the same thing like people ask me, um, you know, how does weed affect testosterone? I've gotten that question a million times because there's some studies that show weed lowers testosterone, but it's a temporary effect. So like if I smoke weed right now, my testosterone is probably going to be lower for, I don't know how long, 12 hours, 24 hours. I don't know what the study shows. Um, so most people are like, oh, so you're good. Like it's, it's temporary. My thing would be like, okay, well, it just depends on what you smoke. If you're smoking once a week, who cares? If you're smoking yeah. every damn day and you're just chronically like depleting your testosterone levels, then it might be an issue because now you're, everything that's affected by testosterone is, is being affected on a daily basis yeah. instead of just every once in a while. At the same time, I know some people who are jacked that smoke weed every day yeah. all the time. So, I mean, uh, Jill, Julian Smith, the guy in Portland, is one of the guys. I mean, he's... he's a proponent. He talks about weed on, oh. on his social media all the time. Okay. Um, Oregon. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in, I mean, I guess Washington too. I was going to say it. Washington yeah. more than Oregon. But he's fucking jacked, dude. Julian Smith. Julian Smith. Yeah. Or Julian Smith. Um, he's uh, the quad guy. Because mm. his quads are fucking massive. But um, that's his nickname. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the quad guy. Yeah, but he posts about smoking weed all the time. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't smoke weed and I also don't have like I mean, I, I don't, yeah, but I also, I don't have like clients that I've worked with that have like came to me with huge concerns. I've had plenty of clients that have been like, yo, like I smoke at times. Is that an issue? I'm like, no, you're good. Like yeah. if we start seeing issues or you start feeling a certain way, we'll like bring it back up and see if we can remove yeah. it and feel better. But I don't know. Point being is like, uh, there's a lot of things that temporarily lower testosterone. Alcohol is another one of those things, you know, it, it, what's one that's permanent. I don't know. I don't know. I think stress is honestly the best, the 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 biggest indicator of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and overly elevated estrogen levels, which can happen from but a numerous. A constant. number of those things cause stress. Exactly. And if we look at like the state of uh, I'll take weed male sex hormones today, like it's known, it's very well known and documented that the average male today has much lower testosterone levels than we once did. Um, and it's also because there's a lot of things that help us have higher testosterone levels that we just don't have to do anymore. Yeah. I don't have to go out with a fucking spear and find food. I'm good. Like, <laughs> fucking Fred Meyer's down the street. <laughs> I got butcher box. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. do. They just yeah. deliver it to me. Yeah. But that's why I strength train. Yeah. yeah. Strength training and stuff like that helps, you know? So, um, yeah, so it really depends. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, there's also like 
uh, tribal things that help improve testosterone, I believe. Like I think, and that's just common with ancestral stuff. Like if you're in a, like a clan of men who are hunting all the time and shit like that, you probably got fucking, it's like the rugby thing we were talking about. Yeah. Damn right. Those guys got testosterone through the roof. Yep. Bunch of burly rugby players that hang out with dudes trying to beat beat each other up all day, every day. Like, Yeah. yeah, they probably do have crazy testosterone levels but um but yeah point being is is chronic stress is definitely gonna uh in elevated cortisol levels is definitely gonna decrease testosterone levels which is why like i've had a lot of guys that i've talked to about this kind of stuff and the things that we're trying to do um to improve their testosterone over time naturally is yeah you can take things like um ashwagandha uh, zinc vitamin d there's a lot of like just natural supplements that you should be taking anyway but they'll influence your testosterone levels. Um, you should be strength training. Uh, you, you should be getting some saturated fat in the diet because that's going to help. Um, you should be strength training. You should be getting enough sleep. Like Check all those boxes off. And if you're checking all those boxes off and it's still an issue, that's when you have either there's other stress going on that's causing the effect because usually you fix those problems and you get enough sleep, you're able to handle the stress better. Um, but for some people, they're just like, their work environment is a very unhealthy place. They train way too often, too hard. Like those things can cause it too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a can of worms, you know, totally. you can go down a rabbit hole with that. Yeah. But short answer. Yes. It does. Cool. All right. Well, that is the last question today. Um, do we have any announcements for next week? No, Maybe I not. don't think so. Um, yeah, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will catch you next time.